Hi, everyone. I'm Henry DeVries. Welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a very special guest. And before we get to him, we like to do our author roll call. So authors, you get to introduce yourself and the title of your book, and we'll go around. And that way, our special guest, uh, Arthur Joseph, will know who's here. And let's, let's start it with uh, Chris Hodges and then David Goldman. Hello, my name is Chris Hodges. I'm the author of Your Noble Robot, and that is Accelerating Innovation and Employee Engagement with Intelligent Automation. Thanks. David? Nice to meet you, David. Thanks. Thanks, Henry. Uh, my name's David Goldman, and I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. It's nice to Thanks. meet you. Um, Joe and then Mark. Can't, can't hear you, Joe. There you go. I hate it when we do that. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe Palo. The title of my book is How to Sell Nothing Better Than Everybody Else. And one of these days, Henry, I got the, I think we'll have the cover ready to go. I'm working on it. And then uh, Mark. Thank you, Henry. And excited to share that um, I'm co-authoring my next book with Henry and Scott Love. The title is Rainmaker Confidential. Hmm. And then uh, let's go with Mary and Mason. Hello, I'm Mary Schmidt. The title of my book is Make or Break Conversations, How Smart Financial Professionals Land and Keep Clients for Life. Wow. And Mason. Sure. Hello, everybody. Mason Harris. Uh, pleasure to be joining my fellow indie uh, authors and other authors. Title of my book is The Chutzpah Advantage. Go bigger, be bolder, do better. Looking forward to today's session. It's great, man. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Well, before we get to our guests, we also have a special feature. We always turn to the chairman of Indie Books for uh, a piece of wisdom for our speakers and authors on the call. Thank you, Henry. And today, um, I don't have an answer for you, but I have a thought for you. And the thought or the perspective is, it takes time. And what keeps you in the game when you cannot see uh, the finish line or where you are aiming your efforts, your time and your talents and your treasures? When you think about all of the things that you want that are maybe major uh, in your career or uh, in your life, uh, your life goals, um, seldom do we make a commitment and we make a decision and get into gear the next day and then we see it come to fruition in six months or a year or five years. And most of the time we spend or we invest our time, energy, money, and creativity when we really cannot see uh, the finish line or understand where we are even going. And through a number of experiences in the last uh, 10 years, um, uh, I've begun to learn the, the power of staying in gear even when you don't quite see where you're going. Uh, we walk by faith, uh, not by fear. So wherever you are on your journey or whatever point you are in the evolution of your career, um, hang in there. Uh, it takes time and one day the clouds will open up and, and uh, great things are in store for those who stay in gear. Thank you, Mark. And now let's go to our, our special guest, Forbes.com calls Arthur Joseph, arguably the greatest vocal coach in the world. I know that because I was the person at Forbes.com who called him that. Um, Arthur is, is very generous. King Solomon said 3000 years ago, the generous person will prosper 
and whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. One of the most refreshing people I've met in the last seven years since we started Indie Books is Arthur, uh, a person generous in spirit. He's an educator, yeah, he's an author, he's a speaker, and just generous to a fault in sharing the wisdom about vocal quality and vocal leadership. So, you know, I recommend his book, Vocal Leadership, but don't buy the book and don't steal it either. What I want you to do is get the audible version and listen to Arthur read the book. Uh, there's so much more that you'll pull out of it and so much more you'll gain. You'll have something to emulate. Uh, Arthur's been on the faculty of uh, USC, Fight on Trojans. Uh, he's uh, been a visiting artist at both Yale and George Washington University. He's uh, taught at the NYU Graduate Extension Program and really has created something special. Um, his Change the World Through Voice program. He has a proprietary voice and leadership training program, um, vocal awareness. So that gets a circle R for it. Uh, so that's something we should all emulate to have our own proprietary process and, and a registered trademark to boot. Arthur is here to uh, share. He attended our last uh, live Indie Family and Friends Forum and was so helpful to everyone there and really appreciate uh, him joining us today. And Arthur, what, what do you have to share with our authors and speakers on the call today? Well, first of all, oh, I just tried to, yeah, I'm trying to see everybody. First of all, thank you, Henry. Thank you, Mark. I teach empowerment through voice. Part of your identities as authors is on the page in the books you held up in front of you. But when you go out to, to sell your books, when you talk with others about your vision, you use this instrument, your voice. I'm so... I first met Mark several years ago. I was speaking in Minneapolis with a dear friend of theirs. And Mark and his generosity came up to me afterwards. And as I recall, at least in my ego mind, was deeply moved by the experience. And then Henry, who doesn't have a false bone in his body, just is as effusive as, you know, it's, it's humbling to hear what Henry has to say about me. But as you see me speak today, as you feel me speak today, as you hear me speak today, everything that I communicate with you, not to you, is in conscious awareness. I remember years ago, I was working with Stephen Covey when he was recording Seven Habits. And he made a few mistakes. And until I inserted myself in the recording process to let him know that ums and uhs and mistakes are like typos in your manuscript, the thought had actually not occurred to him. He wanted to just quote unquote sound natural. So we thought that was acceptable. When you speak for yourselves, no ums or uhs. No, I think. No, you knows. No, I means. If you're not sure of what you're saying, substitute I believe. Nothing equivocal. Who had the book? Was it you, David, that had the book that had really in the title? Would you hold it up, please, so that I can read it? A little closer. I've got old eyeballs. Thank you. 
this is sort of how I heard you, if I may, David, may I comment? Absolutely. This is sort of how I heard you do it. The road to happiness, how to get what you really want. But then I look at really italicized. So, and I look at happiness in giant letters. So to me, that says something more like the road to happiness, how to get what you really want, for example. And notice what my eyes did. Here I am without my eyes reading anything. The road to happiness, how to get what you really want. With my eyes, the road to happiness, how to get what you really want. So the mouth is where the words come from, folks, but the eyes tell the story. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. So I'm looking at my puss again. I'm the Cro-Magnon man of technology, so I apologize for not knowing my way around these things. So my mouth is not simply my mind out loud. My mouth conveys my story. You're storytellers. You've written books that took more than a couple of days to create. You sacrificed a great deal to bring these books with the leadership of Henry and Mark to market. Interesting sidebar. I've written five books and I write them all by speaking them. I put on my recorder and I babble and then I have it typed up and then I write my book from that. Because when I type, I'm actually editing. And I want big block of clay. I shared this with the group when we were last able to be together in one space. You might just experiment with it. Now there's a, a new tech, a new app that one of my students introduced me to that most of you may already know about called Otter, like the mammal, O-T-T-E-R, and does a pretty darn good job of typing up everything you're talking about. So you don't need to transcribe. Also, right now, I'm talking with you, and I'm saying what a joy it is to be here with all of you. It means a great deal to me, versus what a joy it is to be with all of you. It means a great deal to me. First one was flat, sort of disingenuous for me, but you didn't think that man spoke too high and he spoke too fast. All you got was I was inauthentic. The second one, you didn't realize I breathed. My pitch went down and I went a little bit slower. All you got was Arthur means that more. So what I'm suggesting to you here is that pitch and pace matter. It isn't in our daily discourse what we say, but how we say it. So each of you has written a book that reflects your vision, your leadership in a given area. You are the expert. So then you must embody that expert when you speak with people. So then you create what I call your persona statement. The root of the word persona is an Etruscan root word Fursu, P-H-E-R-S-U, which literally means through the sound. One's identity is largely conveyed to the sound of a voice and an opinion created instantaneously. So you answer, it has four parts to it. I sometimes only speak of two, but today I'm going to speak about four. The first question you answer how do I believe I am presently perceived? How do I believe I'm presently perceived? Do I sound like the, the source for the wisdom in this book? The second question you answer is, how would I ideally like to be known? 
how would I ideally like to be known? You mean I have a choice? That's really cool. Yes, of course you do. I teach a gazillion athletes and I say to them in a first lesson, you bring the talent to your sport, but someone teaches you every single thing you do. You learn to write, you gain confidence each and every page. It's one thing to have an idea, it's another thing to fulfill that idea. You've done that. You are all representative of what I call the pragmatic visionary. We all have dreams, but the pragmatic visionary works to make those dreams into a reality. But as I teach, as I'm sharing today, my responsibility isn't to you, it's to the work, the capital W work, the embodiment of what you represent when you share your book, when you share who you are in interviews, et cetera. So when I say to an athlete, you bring the skill to your sport, but someone teaches you everything you do, who teaches us to be ourselves? Not present ourselves, but to be ourselves. We actually don't realize how much work it takes to be ourselves while others watch. All these mixed messages throughout our lives, oh, don't sound like that, what will people think? Oh, you sound arrogant, don't say that. I know none of you ever heard those statements before, but other people have alluded to them. So if I say, vocal awareness is extraordinary work, Suzanne, it can help you change your life in moments. Now that's stupid and arrogant. Suzanne, vocal awareness is extraordinary work. It can help you change your life in moments. It's not arrogant, it's my truth. So what I'm in part sharing today, it's no longer just the message, but it's the messenger. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Did I want a dash here? Do I want an ellipse? Do I want a semicolon, a colon? You actually labored over that when you wrote the book. Where to breathe when we communicate. How to look at people. The importance of taking my time, owning my power. So the other two parts of that persona exercise are drawings. Thought I forgot, huh? The first drawing represents this is how I'm presently perceived. The second drawing reflects this is how I ideally want to be known. They can be stick figures, they can be complex. I've gotten paintings, I've gotten collages, I've gotten stick figures but they reflect the visual image of how you want to be known or presently perceived you are. So, as I said to Henry before we came on and he clearly knows without my having to be redundantly repeating it, I don't come up for air and he gave me 15 minutes to babble and I've probably taken 90 minutes or two hours. So let me come up for air because I don't even know how long I'm supposed to go today and I don't want to usurp time and I apologize Henry and Mark but here we are Arthur you're doing great <laughs> um I didn't give the whole bio with all the corporations you've helped and all the outstanding broadcasters you've helped and all that uh, they they can read that I'd like you to share a little bit about the NFL relationship and helping athletes with their Hall of Fame induction speeches. Because mm. I think that's such a significant part of your work. Well, this shirt is for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And this August 7th and 8th, I will be there with my two latest inductees. Alan Fanica, tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And David's a Steeler fan, obviously. And John Lynch, the current general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. 
and I'm in the throes of writing their speeches with them as we speak. They will be my 26th and 27th students. And a theme in this work, and this emerged, a Hall of Famer whose speech I helped write, I believe was three years ago, is a former running back of the San Diego Chargers, Ladanian Tomlinson. And I was speaking about a theme I created called Team America. And then also another idea that a champion does it differently. And then in grafting that, I like root sources, obviously, fursuit, persona, intimate, intimus, intrinsic or essential. What is more intimate than sharing us to the public, with the public? But it's intrinsic and essential that we must be that person, not present that person. So I looked up the word champion. Lo and behold, it's not even a sports-centric word. It means dazzlingly skilled in any field. Look at all of you, the sacrifice, time, money, energy to create the books that you've written and will continue to write, I presume. Only a champion is willing to do that. And I don't say that to pump you up, that's the truth. I teach that every single thing in life costs something. Which price do you want to pay? The one from walking away or the one because you invested in you? And John is the 350th inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Out of the tens of thousands of men who have played this sport, less than 400 are enshrined in that hall. So it's one thing to play in the NFL. Another thing, Herm Edwards was his coach for many years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was five years into his pro career before he won his first Pro Bowl. And so he comes back from Pro Bowl and he's visiting with Herm Edwards, his head coach. And Herm asks, well, what are your goals? I said, well, I think I'm doing a pretty fair job. I just made the Pro Bowl. I said, okay, so what's next? And Herm is the one who said, I want to see you on that stage putting on that gold jacket in Canton. He hadn't even conceived that he could actually be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame until this coach implanted that idea. One of the key themes in, in all of this is the concept of surrender, serve, and soar. Surrender meaning to yield or to give back, to serve your calling, to serve your vision. And then you soar. It enables us to take cork out of our own bottle and allow ourselves to be what it is you're going to write about, this is who I am without flinching. Go to my website when the dust settles, if you choose, and take a look at the Hall of Fame. Take a look at my TEDx talk from a couple of years ago. 18 minutes of your time. And also on my website, is Dwayne's retirement speech. And then if you choose to do any of this homework, go back and look at Dwayne. We had been working four or five months and he delivered that speech. I believe it was February 22nd, 2020 was the last trip I took, except for later in October of last year when I went with Dwayne to film this show in Atlanta. It was the first time Dwayne ever read teleprompter. First time he ever read prepared remarks. And they're all annotated in another proprietary piece of the work called visceral language, which teaches us how to make voice visual. What word was just underlined? Visual. 
on David's book, what word is italicized? Really? So we want to begin to see our words jump out for us. And then compare Dwayne's communication style from say a year earlier, six months earlier. It's a fundamentally different human being. But I wasn't making Dwayne into someone he's not. I was helping him discover what was possible and bringing that. So as you reflect on today's dialogue, it's not even a conversation for goodness gracious, monologue, really take it to heart, please. This is my 57th year of teaching vocal awareness. This is my life's work. And I do know a thing or two about communication. I teach that the two greatest fears are fear of abandonment and ownership of our power. Claiming us, being us, without worrying about what you think of me while I'm being the size of who I truly want to be, what I, the size of whom I truly deserve to be. HCI was a publisher of my first book, The Sound of the Soul. They're the chicken soup folks and everything I had to have soul in the title, thus The Sound of the Soul. But prior to HCI, I had hired a husband-wife editing team because quote unquote, I'm a babbler. I'm not a writer. And this was 30 or 35, 40 years ago. And I paid them five or six grand. That was a lot of money. Do the math. And I was pleased they did the ubiquitous X number of chapters and all of the stuff you're supposed to do. And then my agent at the time was Tony Robbins agent, another couple of high profile folks and took me to the one building on fifth on sixth Avenue where all the office, where all the publishers were went from floor to floor. They loved me. And then they read this thing and it was direct. But he, I was a, worked in a Richmond Brothers clothing store in Glendale when I was going to college. And we, we called bad clothes, VBD, very best dreck. This was dreck. But I didn't know that. And there it, I threw it away. I blew all these extraordinary opportunities. And one day I was rifling through my file cabinet several years later, I don't remember how many. And I reread this thing and it was horrible. I cannot believe I actually thought it was worthwhile. But I was told I couldn't write. So I sat down and talked my first book. Out of that came Sound of the Soul and everything else came from that. So anyway, Henry, Mark, anything. Arthur, I'm gonna ask Suzanne, the producer, if she could um, uh, not, not pin you. Um, and that, yeah, I'm, I'm a Luddite with technology too, but then that'll allow you to see everyone in a gallery view if you'd like. Uh, I, I think i everyone right now, or okay. at least I'm, I'm looking at uh, eight of you counting and nine plus me. Sounds good, okay. So we have a motto at Indie Books. The book is the starting line not the finish line. Wow. The other one is the number one marketing tool is a book. The number one marketing strategy is a speech. Would you care to expound on that? <laughs> Wonderful. I would like to use that by beginning with the insight that Mark offered. We walk by faith, not fear. I never want to measure my progress by where I want to be, because I'll never be good enough. I only want to measure my progress by where I was and where I am. And I teach that I never want to settle for where I am, but I must 
earnestly, integrally accept where I am, but not settle for it. I call myself the old carrot dangler, walking down the road with my burro, dangling the carrot in front of it so it'll keep pulling the cart. I began this work and continued this work for decades as my own lab rat. I tested everything out on me. And we all have our stories. Mine was one that says, born in a tunnel so deep and dark, it makes the mine shaft look like it's seen the light of day. Very, very austere upbringing. Lots of challenges. And when I began my early adulthood, you couldn't have found myself a thing with a Mount Palomar telescope because it didn't exist. I'm a classical singer by training and a, and a performer and I could had a nightclub act and I performed in musical theater, et cetera. And I could get up and perform, but I couldn't be me. And so, and vocal awareness began emerging when I was 18. And this notion of surrender was one of the earliest theses in vocal awareness. And it was a way to juxtapose my vision for my feeble self. I could craft, this is what I want. And then my persona statement the vision statement and my commitment to surrender to the size of that was what, was what enabled me to begin the journey. With this statement slash question that Henry has just posed, Years ago, I was speaking with our youngest son, maybe 20 years ago on a conference phone call on our way to a wedding in Berkeley, my bride and myself. And we were talking, and he said, well, if you're so serious about your business, where's your business plan? Whoops, I don't have one at the moment. I'd had one, but not at the moment. So I dictated to Rebecca on the way up, spent a couple of months refining it, shared it with my bank president on the corner, who was a dear friend at the time from the gym, and our business manager, who's been in our lives about 40 years now. And he said, this is the finest business plan I've ever read. And I don't know a business plan from a blitz, I can assure you. But it had my various income streams, Q1 through Q4, out five years. My vision my persona statement with goals and timelines. If that's what I want by the end of Q4, what do I've had to accomplish by October and September? And if that's what I want to have accomplished by then, what do I have to accomplish each week to achieve that? That year I grew my business 28%. I have no idea how other than the coalition of all of this energy, this focus, this clarity coming together at the same time. You can't sort of sing a note right. You can't sort of hit the golf ball right. You can't sort of do anything right when you really want to be best at what you do. Sort of don't count. So I love this, this sense of, repeat it again for me, the motto, please, Henry. Publishing the book is the starting line. I did it wrong. <laughs> it's my own motto. Um, um, we say that uh, creating a book is the starting line, not the finish line. And that marketing with a book, that's 
the number one tool, but speaking is the number one strategy. And it's so interesting because I'm actually interested in finish lines. Goalposts keep moving. And I'm only intensely focused on the journey. One time, less than a few months ago with Dwayne, I asked him if he was shooting 50 baskets before the game. And his goal was hit 50 baskets without missing one, but he missed his 49th. What would he do? Start over, of course. Didn't even question that he'd start over because his goal was 50. What are your goals? What is your vision? Don't think about the end line. Think about the size of what you're here to accomplish. One of my favorite quotes is from William James, Henry's brother, says the great use of a life is suspended for something that outlasts it. That outlasts it. You've written a book because you have something to say. And you believe in, you, in your ability to say it. So what makes your story compelling? What makes me want to listen to you? Oh, and then buy your book. Why you when I could read somebody else's book about business? Why yours? What can you say to me in a podcast that compels me to want to go out and buy it? When you listen, is this archived, Suzanne? Will they be able to listen to this again? Yes. So when you listen, if you choose to listen to this again as part of your homework, notice I do not speak to you in a monochromatic way. Notice I'm not, my mouth is not swimming my mind out loud, as I said earlier. Notice when listening back to some of the pithy things that I've said a gazillion times or all these years. I've said them a gazillion times, but they don't sound canned. And they're delivered with intention. Listen to that. I didn't just say they're delivered with intention. They're delivered with intention. So what are you taking away from that? Christopher, may I see the cover of your book, please? That's a bit of a challenge, but I'm getting it up, up for you right now. Oh, sorry about that. No, it's all right. It's because it's on an iPad. Ah. What's this? What's under the word robot? Is there something written under the word robot? Yeah, and and to be fair, Arthur, this this isn't final yet, but it says accelerate innovation and employee okay. engagement. I won't remember all of that. I'll just say accelerate. May I say, accelerate engagement? Uh, well, you, you're changing it if you do, but you can say accelerate innovation and okay, and employee engagement. My book, your noble robot. The subheading is Accelerate Innovation. Oh, the whole thing. Accelerate Innovation and Employee Engagement with I'm Intelligent old. Automation. Oh, my God. Now it's even longer. Maybe now too I've, long. Okay. Let me hear it again. Accelerate Innovation. Accelerate Innovation and Employee Engagement. Wait. I, I write slow. Okay. And, and, employee, and Employee Engagement. Engagement. With intelligent uh -huh. automation. With intelligent automation. With in intelligent automation. There you go. What was the head, the big title? I didn't write that one down, something robot. Your noble robot. Okay. Your noble robot. And I've thank, written a, thank you for I've, all this attention. <laughs> I've written a new book. I'm really excited and frankly, very proud to share it with you. The working title is Your Noble Robot. But the subtext is Accessing Innovation and Employee Engagement 
and intelligent automation. That's just one version, but did you believe that I was excited to share it with you and I knew what I was talking about a little bit? Infinitely more compelling than my version. <laughs> no. So you see how we do that. So I just, you all disappeared again. There. So what you also hear me saying, when you look, I wasn't going to tell you, but if, if you choose to look at the TEDx talk, I've given like thousands of seminars and public addresses over all these years. And I've literally, all I can recall is writing out three of them. One for a voice conference in the UK, where I was doing a keynote. One other in this TEDx talk. Because I call myself the Winton Marsalis of voice. I want to really use my craft in the moment so that I can riff. I'm not being lazy. I want to challenge myself. But I wrote out this TEDx talk and memorized it. Because it had to be a very specific type of talk and time specific. Actually went over about 30 seconds. And even the day of the talk, I'm not exaggerating, I practiced 20 to 25 times, an 18 minute talk. And got there 90 minutes ahead of everyone with my wife and sat off in the ante room, locked the door and put myself back on audio and rehearsed. That's me. So what you hear me saying is, when I said we don't realize how much work it takes to be ourselves while others watch, this is what I'm introducing to you. I'm suggesting putting yourself on video, standing in front of your camera, on your mirror, and practicing the opening three or four sentences of what you want to talk about, and write it out. My bride used to attend occasional seminars and she was at one actually in San Diego many, many years ago and said, why do you say it the same way all the time? I said, they haven't heard it. And that isn't me being lazy or once again canned. I've created a structure that I know I need to follow so that the people attending the seminar can really learn what I need them to learn in X amount of time. I don't need to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. So the paradigm here is structure does not impinge, it liberates. Freedom without direction is chaos. You don't just get up there and riff on your podcast or when you're on a local talk show. No way. You're squandering an opportunity. We never know who's listening. I was on Regis many, many years ago, and I having do one of my exercises, he's pulling his tongue, which is one of my silly exercises. And I get home, there's a, a voicemail from Ann Bancroft, who'd been watching. We never know who's listening and came to study. There was an interview in the Wall Street Journal with me, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Nice interview. The next day, I had an email from an editor at McGraw-Hill, and out came two books. We never know who's reading or listening. So we want to be prepared, really prepared, because we're in service to your book, to your vision. Henry, did I answer your question OK? Thank you, Arthur. I have another question. Arthur, the educator. What length of time do you prefer? Do you like these one hour type events? Do you like three hours? Does it need to be three days? What do you prefer when you work with someone? In this type of setting? Or any setting, because we're all engaged in some kind of work and I'm, 
not it's your work has been interesting, but how you work your work, I think, is the question. Well, when I first met Mark, there was a half-day seminar or something like that, Mark. Is that correct? And but around it, I had breakouts with the key leadership of this company, both before and after, as I recall. I could be mistaken about that, but that's what I recall. So if this were a half day, for example, where this is, there's really an exchange and it really gives me a chance to do exercises because there's technique and vocal awareness. And then because it is also intimate, we have half hour breakouts where we get to work one-on-one. -on -one. That's cool. There's so many versions of this. When I work first time with clients in my studio or on Zoom, I request 90 minutes to two hours because as you can see, this is content dense. And there's also no frame of reference. So we think we know how to breathe. Of course we do. So if I say, take a deep breath, everybody, would you please do that right now? And exhale. Now this time I'm going to ask you to please allow, and I'm gonna guide it like this, a slow, silent, loving breath. What an odd concept to love a breath. Here we go, take five seconds. Lovingly, slowly, silently begin. Much too fast, Christopher, let's start again. We're not taking, we're allowing. Here we go again, in three, two, begin. Slowly, deeper, deeper, and exhale. Now notice from one breath, your space just got quieter, internally, externally. And for a couple of you, the second time your intercostals expanded, the first time your chest moves. So a breath is not only physical, it's also emotional. And because I'm teaching communication mastery, the mastery lies in the subtlety of the experience. It's not just the breath. It's the quality of the breath because it's going to shift the paradigm. So... There's your answer from the educator part. How can people learn more? What are the different options, Arthur? I have a leadership course that they can find out about on my website, I believe. They can reach out to the leader of my team. Her name is Kira Hanselman, K-I-E-R-A. And you write to her at support at vocalawareness.com. And she can give you some ideas. Do you do you also do audible audio books these days, Henry, by the way? Yes, almost all of our authors are doing an audible book these days. Okay, well, I would love to help them do that stuff. And my editor at McGraw Hill just sent me you know, a couple of weeks ago and then we spoke and she told me that Audible Books bought their whole audio catalog. And they're now also offering six-figure deals, as you both probably already know. And so that's an untapped market. My goodness. And how nice it would be for you to get to read your own books instead of farming it out to somebody else to read your own words. And, you know, when I uh, recorded my book for like 14 billion hours of me, I do my work. It's all the same. Everything is dialed in. No, support at vocalawareness.com, Suzanne. But her name is Kira Hanselman, H-A-N-S-E-L-M-A-N. And then, if Kira will always funnel to me, and then if there's something if you want to speak to me personally, then she'll send that to me and leave me a cell phone so I can give you a jingle. And we can take it from there. I've got a lot of online courses. The TEDx talk, you will learn an awful lot. 
it's, it's, a, it's a good 18 minutes. I'd love to do more of these types of things. This would probably be really cost effective for people if we ever wanted to talk about creating any of this. And anything else, Henry? Mark? That's it. Mark, did you have anything you wanted to ask or say? Thank you, Henry. And thank you, uh, Arthur. <clears throat> I count uh, uh, every moment uh, being with you as sitting at uh, the feet of the master. Uh, so thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for thank you. Uh, sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for your trust. Thank you, Mr. DeVries. Go Dodgers. Go Dodgers. And thank you. The um, Forbes column last year about your advice on singing, singing your way through COVID was one of my most read columns of the year. Wow. How wonderful is that? And, you know, as Henry shares that, some of you may remember Norman Cousins wrote a book maybe 20 or 30 years ago called Anatomy of an Illness, where he wrote how he healed himself through laughter. And so I went on to say that laughter is a singing what crawling is to running. It's just the beginning of a profound process for our own well-being. And so, thank you. I even have an audio series called Sing Your Heart Out, which is kind of cool. So go sing your heart out, man. And God bless you, everybody. And thank you, Henry, for your time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you all. Thank you, Arthur. Well, let's, let's do the jazz hands. That's how we applaud on uh, Zoom these days. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks, Arthur. Thanks so much. I look forward to getting up to LA and seeing you in person. Uh, it's been probably over a year and a half now since we've actually yes. been together. I would, I would love to that. that. Okay. Well, thanks, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in today. And we look forward to you joining us next week on our Marketing with a Book podcast. Thanks, everyone.